What's up, this Shaq Barrett, outside linebacker of the Tampa Bay Bucks, and you're listening to the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. What is going on, everybody? I hope you're having a great day today. This is Alex from the Fresh Fantasy Podcast, and this is the 10th episode of Season 3. Today, we're going to be talking about sleepers, talking about guys that we both feel on our today that are being a little bit slept on, for lack of a better word, and guys that we feel that people need to be paying more attention to. doesn't mean they're going to be world beaters or league winners, but they're guys that we believe deserve more attention. And these are guys like Elijah Moore, Damian Pierce, Tua Tungavailoa, and why we believe these guys are being slept on. Joining me today is a returning guest in the podcast. He is also a local New Englander like myself, a former fantasy football analyst for PFF, now a full-time analyst for Fantasy Pros, and a co-author of the best-selling fantasy football black book. With over 14,000 followers on Twitter, he is Andrew Erickson. Welcome back to the show. I mean, I'm, I'm honored, humbled to be back on, and we hit that 10K mark. So, Alex, I know you played a massive role with your audience here on the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. I know I wouldn't have been able to get here with that. I couldn't show my face back on this podcast if I hadn't gotten over 10K. So, so super stoked to be back on here for another season. And it was funny, I was looking through the show sheet and, you know, seeing the the flag player, uh, the the, the thing that we talked about last year. And I'm pretty sure my guy was Joe Mixon. I'm pretty sure that's the guy I talked about. And Joe Mixon, for all intents and purposes, was a good pick last year. So I felt good about that. And I'm excited to run it back with another flag plant, flag plant player and breaking down these sleepers because that's the time of year it is now. We're in the middle of May and the draft is in the rear view window, but we're still talking fantasy football. You have to absolutely love it. You know, when OTAs happen, there's really nothing going on and teams are, ADPs are going to move and it doesn't even matter. But, you know, we're going to be talking about fantasy all summer long. Looking forward to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it's cool for the, for the OG listeners of the Fresh Fantasy Podcast. You're probably one of, I think you're, either third or fourth on all-time appearances on on the podcast here. So I'm excited to get you back to it in a new season, albeit. But we are talking sleepers today, and I could not be more excited. But we will. You are the guest today. We will start off with you. So who is your first sleeper for this coming season? Yeah, so my number one sleeper for running backs, I'm going to go with Ramondre Stevenson. And the thing with Stevenson is he's always going to be affordable because the Patriots' backfield is always just this – giant headache that no one can ever seem to figure out and i I don't know how it's going to play out either like that's the thing like that's why he's never going to be super expensive in drafts but what i am gravitating towards with stevenson is that he's always going to be cheaper than damien harris and the what he was able to do last year i think is not being talked 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 about enough you know he fully escaped the bill belichick doghouse like that is something that in itself is a an amazing accomplishment not 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 a lot of players can say that they were in the doghouse basically got benched after fumbling the ball and saying that they were then able to be really productive on the field you look at what stevenson did after he basically became a more a bigger part of the offense after week nine he was pff's third highest graded running back he ranked 13th in rushing yards and in yards per route run And he was the RB25 in terms of total points scored eight spots behind Damian Harris from week nine onward. So he showed and flashed a a three down skill set as a receiver. When Damian Harris missed games, we saw him handle a massive workload. He has the size and speed to do all those things. So if an injury happens to Damian Harris, 
then I think Stevenson really is going to be the guy there. And I think that he, based on how successful he was as a rookie, I know that we're getting talks about, you know, Pierre Strong entering the James White role in the Patriots offense as a day three rookie. And I'm, I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like this, that doesn't make any sense to me. Why would they put a rookie in such a critical third down role when Ramondre Stevenson showed last year that he was capable of being able to be used on passing downs. Like he's an experienced guy. The Patriots almost never play rookie running backs ever. So the fact that Stevenson was able to, and Stevenson almost fell into that category last year too. Like there were times where we were like, is this guy ever going to play? Like we do not know. So I, I really don't, I'm not afraid of strong and Harris. I really think that the guy that they drafted in the sixth round, I think that's more of a, okay, Damien Harris is going to be, or excuse me, Kevin Harris is who I'm referring to. So Damien Harris is a free agent after this year. He's gone. Like, they're going to run him into the ground. He may get hurt, whatever. They're going to move on from him. He's going to be a free agent. He'll probably sign with the Raiders, honestly, is, is probably what's going to end up happening. My bold hot take heading into 2023, Damien Harris will be a new Raiders running back. So Zamir White, you know, just, just chill a little bit. So but with Stevenson, I mean, he has the skill set. It, something that really caught my eye when I was doing research about Ramondre Stevenson was actually came from former Patriots linebacker Rob Ninkovich. So he's an ESPN analyst, and it's just something that caught my eye. Like, I don't look at, you know, I'm not necessarily like reading ESPN trying to find things like this, but I kind of stumbled upon it. I think it was something that Mike Reese had written up and uh, referring to Rob Ninkovich. And Rob Ninkovich literally said that he thinks that Ramondre Stevenson can be a top three running back in the league. Not like on the team, but like in the actual NFL. And when you take a step back, you're like, well, I mean, well, why can't he? Like, what he showed last year, he showed he can handle a massive workload. He's got the size. He has the explosive ability down the field to make plays. So I think Stevenson is someone that we're going to be talking about next year. And even during the middle of the season, be like, wow, like this guy has the potential to actually blow up depending on how things shake out in the Patriots backfield. So if this offense takes a step forward with Mac Jones, which I think that it can, I think Ramondre Stevenson, based on, you know, however they play things out with Damian Harris, they could trade Damian Harris. They traded Sony yeah. Michelle last year. You know, why wouldn't they trade Damian Harris as, as a free agent? So I think there's just a lot of scenarios where Stevenson has a a massive year. Um, yeah. And I'm just, I'm gravitating towards his success as a rookie in a situation that really no one expected him to be successful at all. So that's why I like Stevenson. Definitely. And I think Stevenson, that, I mean, that's a great case for Stevenson. I think my pushback would just be the fact that like, they have James White, you know, they have Damian Harris. So why are they drafting, you know, two other running backs? Like, does that, I know that Damian Harris on expiring contract, he's probably gone next year. I'm hundred percent on board with that, but I just worry a little bit of them drafting two whole running backs, you know, and, and how that looks with Stevenson. But again, as, as we are both Patriots fans, I watched him play a lot last year. And when he had that starting role, I think it was against the Falcons. I mean, he just looked absolutely amazing. And I think the potential for him is really big. Um, I like him this year. I like him at his ADP. And he's a guy that I will definitely be investing in a little bit. I got to also be investing in. I know I'm going to catch a lot of heat for this one, but I really believe that this guy can actually do something should he stay healthy? I know he's a running back. I know he's over 30 years old, but it's Raheem Mostert. I mean, he's the running back 46 right now in best ball. He's playing in a Dolphins offense that just got huge upgrades at wide receiver and O-line. Tua, Tua Tungavailoa should be better. His only competition for touches is now Chase Edmonds, Sony Michelle, and Miles Gaskin. Like, I don't think there's really a name that scares me there. I mean, Chase Edmonds is the guy that everyone's afraid of, and he averaged nine point a career high 9.6 carries per game. Their offensive line got a huge upgrade with Teron Armstead and Connor Williams. So I think that obviously, yes, Raheem Mostert has never started over eight games in his career. He has also never played 16 games in his career. 
But if you talk about someone that's familiar with this offense that Mike McDaniel's running with his connections with Raheem Mostert, he was there at the same time in San Francisco. You talk about the wide zone scheme that this offense is probably going to run running-wise. That fits exactly what we want from Raheem Mostert. We don't know exactly what he's going to look like, but I think that he's very dynamic. He's going very late in drafts, and maybe you don't get a full season. But if I could draft a running back you know, in the mid-40s, that can give me like a solid six to eight games starting potentially. I'm going to buy that with Raheem Mostert, but I'm guessing that you're probably going to give me, give me some pushback here on loving Raheem Mostert. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't like investing anything into 30 year old running backs that don't ever stay healthy. You know, Raheem Mostert has been on like five, he's been on like 10 different teams at this point, you know, starting from the practice squad. So I do agree with you that he is a good fit for Miami's offense. You know, he is explosive. He is fast. Like, and he can make a big, a lot of big plays. And my, what I would do and how I would handle drafting Raheem Mostert. Cause again, you know, I try to be open to drafting all players depending on price. You know, if he yeah. is so cheap, it's like, you know, whatever, like I, I will draft him. I, I'm trying to be more open to, you know, what is the price that I would actually draft this player? And there are players I hate, but I really, I just hate their ADPs. And it's like, no, like there's a price for every single player that you should be happy to uh, until we get into like, like the very like light rounds in terms of like last round picks, but there should be a price for every player that you're like, you know what, at that price, I will draft that player and it could be egregious. It could be like super, super low, but it's still, you know, you're still agreeing that there is some type of upside with Moster. And I agree with you that there is a path. And what I would do is basically I would look at the early season schedule yeah. for the dolphins. Is it good in terms of who they're playing? They run defenses. Are they playing a, a soft schedule? Okay. Then Raheem Moster basically for me would be a guy that I would draft. And then every single week he would be number one in my sell high list. <laughs> like every single week it'd be Raheem Mostert sell high. I know that you yeah. talked about, on Matt Kelly's podcast about selling high on Christian McCaffrey when he came back from an injury. So um, I, I think that I would probably echo a same type of sentiment with Raheem Mostert. Be like, if he starts out, you know, first game, 100 yards, second game, 100 yards, he's ripping off these 80-yard touchdowns. Like, all right, great. This is awesome. Like, flip him now for whichever receiver just hasn't had a couple, has had a couple dud games. So I think that's the strategy I would do. And that's what I always try to think about when I draft players. It's like, you know, this guy is on my team. I'm managing this player. How am I going to approach him during the entire season? So Mostert would be someone I would draft, and I would be immediately trying to flip him the minute that he does anything great for, yeah. for the reasons we talked about, obviously, that he just hasn't had the longevity um, historically. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's totally fair. Um, I'm with that. I think that would be selling him. Speaking of that, uh, you're talking about an old take. I remember that last year in my podcast that you talked about that you already had a pre-article written up on Joe Mixon as a buy low because he had a gauntlet of a first three games <laughs> in like Pittsburgh, uh, like Minnesota and Baltimore or something like that. And you said that I'm going to have like a, a Joe Mixon <laughs> buy low article, also your flag plant. So it's funny how you those those things really came into fruition. But hopefully some of these things will also come into fruition. And maybe your second sleeper that we're going to talk about will come into fruition. Please talk about him. Yes, so my second guy is David Njoku, tight end for the Cleveland Browns. And there's just a lot of reasons I like him. So he was really efficient last year, set career highs in PFF grade, yards per route run, yards after the catch per reception. He was actually first among tight ends that commanded at least 50 targets last year. So we saw him be efficient with bad quarterback play, which is never a given. Usually when you see guys play with bad quarterbacks, the efficiency is horrible. Um, he already has a top 10 finish on his resume. That's something that I look at a lot when I'm looking at players that are trying to make the leap. Have they done it before? You know, David Njoku has been a top 10 tight end in fantasy football. And that matters so much when we're trying to project guys into the future because they've already done it. Like this isn't projecting him into something he has never done before, never become like he's been a top 10 tight end already. So it's in his range of outcomes. You have him getting a potential increased workload in 2022 
with Austin Hooper now out of the window or out of the picture. Better quarterback, Deshaun Watson, and he's athletic. Like that's the other thing with these rookie tight ends or these younger tight ends that you're you're gravitating towards athleticism and big play upside. And that's what David Njoku can do. So really with Njoku, the only thing that's really holding him back, obviously we'll see how Deshaun Watson, how that plays out in terms of he gets suspended for X amount of games. Like we don't know. So that remains to be seen. So I think that's part of based to that's based into his ADP a little bit as going, I think it's at tight end 20. And then the other thing with Njoku is it, it's possible that he just still works in a split with Harrison Bryant. Like that's like still like totally on the table and would be horrible and it'd just be super annoying. And it's just tough to overcome that, you know, as a tight end, like you need to be on the field in all passing downs. So we'll see the Browns don't have a lot of wide receivers on their roster. So I could see them just running a lot of 12 personnel. I know that Houston did that a lot with Deshaun Watson back in the day. So if it's really like the starters are Bryant Njoku, David Bell and Amari Cooper, and then you kind of have Anthony Schwartz, people's Jones are just kind of like rotating in whenever they decide to run 11 personnel. And then Njoku is the starting tight end in those sets. Okay. And now we're cooking with gas. So I think that Njoku is someone that I'm still willing to take shots on because of the upside that I kind of pointed out to. And we'll get a clearer picture of his role, I think, during the preseason, where it's a little bit easier to kind of diagnose, like, what kind of offense the Browns are running with Deshaun Watson. So it's like, if him and Harrison Bryant are, like, splitting, like, reps 50-50, it's like, oh, now, like, this is, it, it kind of, like, reminds me of, like, Adam Troutman last year, where we're like, oh, my God, like, Troutman is, like, not doing anything you know, pass happy in this offense during the preseason. Like, okay, we got to get off. Like, we got to get off in Joku. So I'm, 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 I'm open to backing off in Joku if we get more information based on his role. But right now, just looking at his peripherals, looking at his past production, looking at the athleticism, the situation with Deshaun Watson, I like David and Joku a lot as a, a late round tight end to take a shot on. Yeah, I don't like him as much. Uh, I think that I mean he, he is going into his sixth sixth NFL season, and he's never surpassed four touchdowns or seven hundred receiving yards. I think the case is there. He's athletic. You know, he's tied to a great quarterback, and will be a very good offense. But I mean, Deshaun Watson also hasn't had a lot of success with tight ends. Who's I mean, he had? Who's he had? Who's he had? Yeah, okay, but he's had Darren Pells and like Jordan Atkins. Yeah, okay, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, but Jordan Atkins played baseball. He, I, <laughs> I mean, like, I still think though, like, I don't like, I, but. Like, couldn't Joku be the best tight end that Watson has played with? Maybe. I mean, I think that you, there's an argument for that, but that still really is not saying that much. And it's not like Njoku's really put up some crazy numbers. I think this is probably the season for it. But I still think that he's going to be in a split, you know, with Harrison Bryant. All this team has done at the tight end position since Kevin Stefanski took over, you know, is split reps at tight end. But that is with Austin Hooper and David Njoku a little bit more. So I'm curious to see what it looks like. I'm not as willing to buy on him. Because like he has not really done anything that crazy. I'm more willing to invest in my guy in Logan Thomas going at a very similar ADP right now. Because like Logan Thomas has done it before. Yes, Logan Thomas is a little bit older. He did tear his ACL and MCL and he's over 30 years old. But he's just two seasons removed from a top three season. And unlike Deshaun Watson, Carson Wentz, the new quarterback of the Commanders. Wow. First time saying commanders mm -hmm. went had a lot of success throwing to tight ends, you know, with Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard a little bit in Philly. But the thing I love about Logan Thomas that also David and Joku doesn't have is the role, you know, before Logan Thomas got hurt, Andrew, Logan Thomas had 13 straight games with a 90% or higher snap share before his injury. And in 2020, he ran the highest number of routes among all tight ends. He's had a 25 and 30% red zone target share. So I think that Logan Thomas is definitely someone that is really, really good and someone that 
you know, has a really good role. And I think that as long as he's healthy, I think he's more likely to finish in the top 10 than David Njoku is. Yeah, I think that's the major question, though, is how healthy is he? Is he going to come back and immediately be on the field for week one? Like, we don't know the extent of his injury in terms of his recovery and his timeline. And I, I definitely had Logan Thomas ranked higher in my rankings, not really considering the fact that he could, you know, miss the start of the season. So, I, I, I agree with you. The role is obviously super clear in Washington with that offense. You look at all the Titans that they used last year, whether it was Logan Thomas, whether it was Ricky Seals Jones, whether it was John Bates, it didn't matter who it was like that tight end was seeing a, the field at a 90% snap share rate. So it, it was definitely elite usage for that tight end. So I agree with you. It's just a matter of if we get better news about, okay, Oh, Logan Thomas is on track, like start week one. Like I'm, I'm definitely backing you um, for Logan Thomas. Yeah, definitely. And I hope he will. I mean, there, there was a report, you know, that came out a couple of weeks ago that said he's already, I mean, a lot ahead of schedule, you know, in his recovery, he's already back to jogging and it's only May, but again, there remains to be seen, but I think all Cla classic <laughs> guy ahead of schedule on his ACL injury. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like they're always all ahead of schedule. I just think always it's funny. It's like, what, it, like, what is this schedule like that people like prescribe? Is this ever accurate or just like doctors are bad at their jobs? Like everyone's ahead of schedule, but no, I, yeah. I digress. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Maybe they just, they just always like to, you know, set the, set the timeline so everyone always feels like they're ahead of schedule yeah that's probably fantasy. it make them feel they're all, good <laughs> they're all fantasy football fans at heart and they like to just give out the good news before ahead of schedule if you're behind schedule on an acl that you are really doing it wrong <laughs> uh, but we digress on to our sleeper quarterbacks andrew who is your number three sleeper yeah i'm gonna go with uh your boy mac jones you you, you got to meet him a few weeks back and I just want to talk about Mac Jones because I don't think that he's getting enough love from a fantasy perspective. And I get it. You know, he's not a, a mobile quarterback. And that's what obviously people are gravitating towards. He doesn't have the sexy weapons of, you know, that Zach Wilson has, that Tua has, that, you know, some of these offenses have. But, I mean, it's not like the Patriots offense in terms of their weapons. It's not it's not like horrible. Like, I, look, they're, they could have done other things in free agency. They could have done other things in the draft. But it's not like he's playing with like Justin Fields weapons where he's Justin Fields has like actually nothing to work with. Mac Jones. I mean, Hunter Henry, John Lee Smith, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, uh, Taekwon Thornton, like good offensive line, you know, a good support system around him. Like he was the one that was the best rookie quarterback last year because he had the best structure around him. And obviously all those other teams made different changes to try to help their quarterbacks. But we already know Mac Jones was really good last year. 18th in PFF passing grade, throwing 10 to 19 yards down the field, 13th from a clean pocket, 10th on early downs. And those are like all specific metrics that tend to be stickier than just looking at like raw passer rating or completion percentage or things like that. But Mac Jones also was great in that aspect too. He posted the sixth highest passer rating and second highest completion percentage for a rookie quarterback with at least 300 attempts in the history of the NFL. Like Dak Prescott is the only quarterback that had a higher completion percentage than Mac Jones did as a rookie with at least 300 passing attempts. So Mac Jones, I think is better than Tua. I think he's better than Zach Wilson. And I don't think that that's being considered enough. Everyone is just like all the weapons, like that's all that matters. And I, I, I admit that does matter a lot, but at the end of the day, are you good? Like I've seen Drew Locke tank an offense with good weapons. Not saying that that's going to happen with Zach Wilson, not saying that's going to necessarily happen with Tua, but it's still in their range of outcomes where I see Mac Jones. I see him as a guy that is going to make the offense better around him and make Jacoby Myers a better receiver, make Kendrick Bourne a better receiver, make Hunter Henry a better tight end. So that's the way I view it with Mac Jones. So he's not someone that you need to pay a lot for because he doesn't have the mobile upside. Maybe it's really more of a two quarterback play, but 
I think that he can kind of be a Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr type of player. You look at what he did over the last eight weeks of the season when you remove the one game where, of course, he threw the ball, I think, two times. So just not counting that game in specific because of the win that that was, that was at play. But he averaged 16.5 fantasy points per game, which was an increase from his first half of the season, which was 13.8. And it was the same as Derek Carr. And I know Derek Carr's got some love this year. Obviously, he's got a big new weapon with Devontae Adams. But he got 16.5 fantasy points per game without without Devontae Adams last year, without Darren Waller, without Henry Ruggs. Like, the a good quarterback can get it done with subpar weapons and raise things around him in a good situation. So I think that Mac Jones is someone that I think we're going to see take a big leap this year. And I know we talked about this when we were together hanging out last week, Alex, but, you know, the Patriots have not, you know, have not announced an offensive coordinator. And I think that's because they believe in Mac Jones and they believe he can really shoulder a much bigger load of this offense. I know people are going to be like, oh, well, it's going to be run heavy. I mean, if you just look at back when Tom Brady was the starter for that offense, every year they were like top five in passing. So yeah, last year and the year with Cam Newton, obviously they were more run heavy because they didn't have Brady. But if they have the confidence of Mac Jones, like I think they do, and the fact that what the moves that they have made this offseason, I think we're going to see this team go back up, pass the ball a little bit more, and you're going to see Mac Jones have a much higher fantasy ceiling than he showed as a rookie. So I'll go Mac Jones. He's your boy. Uh, let's hear about your guy. I mean, he's Mac Jones, my boy, but I, I just, I can't see it enough. You know, just with the weapons that he has, I love Mac Jones. I believe in Mac Jones. I want Mac Jones to be the next big thing because I, you know, I got to meet him and I'd love for him to be like, <laughs> like I met Mac Jones. Um, but again, just, I think that his ceiling is so low with the, with no, like an inability to be a great rusher. And the fact that like Jacoby Myers is probably still going to be his wide receiver one. And I love Jacoby Myers, just not as the wide receiver one of my football team. Um, but that remains to be seen. I'm always going to be rooting for Mac Jones, but I'm a little bit more on my guy Tua Tungo-Vailoa for a fantasy football perspective going off the board as an underdog QB 17 right now Tua was better than people think last year I mean he was number one you know versus zone number one versus sorry sorry number one in deep passing number two versus zone coverage and number one in the NFL in red zone completion percentage and that doesn't like I know that he probably you know didn't pass a lot in those areas and it's like a, a silly cherry-picked stat but again that's something to keep in mind of especially when they improve their O-line Line. They improve their wide receivers. I mean, this will be year three of Tua, year two of Jalen Waddle. Kaseki is still improving. They added Cedric Wilson. And then you add in probably the most dynamic or one of the most dynamic wide receivers in the entire NFL in Tyreek Hill. And that automatically makes you a lot better quarterback. We saw the same thing with Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs, where, you know, Josh Allen was not the greatest deep ball quarterback. You add Stephon Diggs, you see that how much those guys erase some of your deficiencies. And I think that Tyree Kill is going to erase some of those same deficiencies for Tua Tungo-Vailoa. And I believe in this offense a lot. I think Cedric Wilson is also a big, you know, little add as a wide receiver three in this offense. I think they have so many weapons. I mean, they have Raheem Mostert, for God's sakes. How are they not going to succeed? <laughs> I love the scheme with Mike McDaniel. I don't think that Tua is just some, you know, somewhat accurate quarterback or anything like that like we might talk about but i think that Tua is going to be the guy next year i think he's a sleeper and a guy that i'll be targeting a lot later in drafts all right i have two questions for you with with Please. Tua. so who is a better quarterback Tua or mac jones uh oh man i'm gonna well, mac jones okay that's all, that's all i wanted to hear and then the second question is so we've seen this offense before in san francisco um with jimmy garoppolo um jimmy garoppolo's had really good weapons and he's still not always been a guy we could rely on a fantasy. So why can't why why can't Tua just be the left-handed Jimmy Garoppolo? 
Like, what, like what's stopping him from being just that? Like, he has a lot of weapons. I mean, Debo Samuel was wide receiver two last year. How good was Jimmy Garoppolo? Not good. So I'm just saying, like, that's in the range of outcomes where you're getting Jimmy G production from Tua. Um, will you admit that that's at least in the range? That is in the realm of possibility. Yeah. I do, do I think it's likely? No. But I think that, that there is a chance that he could be left-handed Jimmy. <laughs> that's what I mean. It's just like, that's that's what I think. Because I just don't believe, because you okay. said yourself, you think Mac Jones is better. Yeah. And I, I that's sure. why I, I just don't feel like Tua. Look, if, if Tua, I, I back Tua entering last year. Look, after his rookie year, I was like, you know what, dude? Like, that was coming off the injury. Like, the support system was really bad. Like, I'm going to give him another chance in year two. And I just didn't see it again. Like, I, I saw a guy that needed everything to be perfect around him. And it's like, dude, that's not what the NFL is like. It's never going to be perfect. Guys are going to get hurt. Like, what happens if Hill gets injured or Waddle gets injured? He just collapses? It's like, uh, so those are things that, that's why I'm concerned about Tua. And I, I really think, like, when, he, when a quarterback comes out and says, oh, we're going to yak him to death, I'm just like, Dude, like, <laughs> I get that, like, it's it's a funny joke and stuff, but it's like, like, I want to see you, like, be aggressive, like, down the field, like, ripping the ball. And I know that, yeah, he's going to have a couple boom games, but that's what Garoppolo did, too. Garoppolo yeah. had a bunch of boom games. Like, well, how run-heavy is this team going to be? They just signed, they got to feed Raheem Mostert, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. um, those are uh, my concerns with Tua. That's fair. That's fair. Again, I'm I'm a little bit more, I mean, above him, and I think, you're, I know you're just playing devil's advocate a little bit. I don't think that you, I, I hope you don't, like, full-heartedly believe that he's just a left-handed Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe I mean, well, I mean, he's not been good the first two years of his career. That's not fair, but I think that Tua was a much better prospect, you know, coming out than Jimmy Garoppolo. I think that these weapons, I mean, are probably, you know, on, on par, you know, with what Jimmy Garoppolo probably had. But I think that, like, he's shown a little bit more where Jimmy Garoppolo was number first in the NFL in deep ball completion percentage, cherry picked or not. He was never first in red zone completion percentage. And, you know, he did have Debo and Kittle and all these guys. But I, I, I still believe in Tua. I know that everything has to be perfect around him, but I think everything is. And I think for that reason, there's a chance that he could be really good this year. But there also is a very, like, there's an outcome, you know, where he is just left-handed Jimmy Garoppolo. But we will finish on that. The listeners can decide what they want to decide. <laughs> But we will move on to our fourth sleeper. Andrew, we are going back to you. Yeah, I'm going with Elijah Moore. Um, and he really wasn't a sleeper beforehand, before the NFL draft. You know, people were, were high on Elijah Moore, as was I. You know, the fantasy wide receiver, too, over his last stretch of six games played before he was knocked out of the lineup because of COVID. So he just had such a great rookie year, and I just don't want people to forget about it. And I get that Garrett Wilson is coming in. And look, it's really hard for me to – to really parse through this Jets offense because like I, if Zach Wilson was just good, I, I would feel so much better about like attaching myself because I like a lot of these Jets pieces. I like Elijah Moore, like I mentioned. Again, 16.1 fantasy points per game would have ranked fifth had he continued the production over the remainder of the season. So we're seeing a guy that obviously in a smaller sample size, but he was playing with Josh Johnson, Mike White, Zach Wilson, a bunch of hodgepodge quarterbacks last year was just absolutely dominant. Now, but that also came with not a lot of competition. So you kind of get some type of, you know, Brandon Ayuk vibes from Elijah Moore. Brandon Ayuk obviously had a really great rookie season and kind of regressed in year two because a lot of his production came when there wasn't really a lot of competition. That's no longer the case here with Elijah Moore. You have Garrett Wilson coming in as a top 10 pick and he's going to be on the field. Corey Davis, we'll see what he ends up doing. The Jets seem to like Braxton Berrios too. They, they re-signed him. So there's a lot of question marks about, you know, the target competition and things like that. And in these types of cases, when there's ambiguity about targets, like no one knows, like no one knows if it's going to be more, it's going to lead the team in targets, whether it's going to be Garrett Wilson, like, I don't care who you are. It's like, it's really hard to, to decide because both players, I think 
are both very good and both could easily be the number one target on this Jets offense. But for, so for in my, the way I view it is I'm just looking to buy the, the best players and what Elijah Moore showed last year as a rookie, you know, wide receiver two over the last stretch of six games played like that proves to me that this dude is really talented and that's what I'm going to be investing in. And because his ADP is going down because Garrett Wilson was drafted there, that's going to be an opportunity I'm going to buy, you know, what happens if Garrett Wilson gets hurt? Oh my God. Like Elijah Moore is now like a top 12 wide receiver. We rank every single week. So those are the scenarios the type of thinking. Um, it's just, and I'm just praying that Zach Wilson can just take a step forward because if he tanks in year two, then it doesn't even matter, you know, how good Moore is or how good Wilson is because this offense isn't going to move the football at all. So that's why Moore kind of falls into the sleeper category for me because there's a lot of question marks, but the one question mark I don't have is talent. And I think that's something I always try to, I try to attach myself to when it comes to some of these receivers kind of going in the, you know, the middle range um, of drafts. Yeah, definitely. I'm. I can't. I don't have any pushback here like I have on the other ones. I'm. I'm Elijah Moore guy. I love Elijah Moore. I love everything you said. I mean, said. everyone. I mean, got you. Got a lot. I mean, the, everything he did yeah. last year was great. It's just. And I honestly feel like, I mean, for a fantasy perspective, like in terms of ADP specifically, I like Elijah Moore. I like that Garrett Wilson got added to this offense for Elijah Moore for fantasy purposes. That doesn't mean overall points. But because he's at a now discount yeah. and where his price, like how efficient he will be on his price relative to Garrett Wilson being there or not being there, I think this helps him a lot. I love Elijah Moore. I don't have any pushback. But another guy that is also probably going to get a ridiculous target share this year that I'm also in love with is Darnell Mooney. You know, at wide receiver 32 and underdog best ball, the Bears lost their third, fourth, and fifth target leaders and the only one that's left in that top five besides Mooney is Cole Komet like are we are we serious here there's 144 vacated targets just from those three guys leaving alone his top competition now for targets is now Cole Komet and the only drafted player offensive wise is Bayless Jones a six-year college player who didn't top 300 yards until his final season in college I mean Mooney last year with you know, these other guys that were still there had a 26.7% target share, 18% in the red zone. I think that is bound to improve. I think Mooney's really the only guy. And, you know, I love this little offseason talk. And, you know, Ryan Poles, the new GM, came in and said that, like, this kid Mooney wants to be special. And, you know, I was fired up. I started playing my Rocky music and running up and down the stairs when I read that about Darnell Mooney. I mean, I, I love Darnell Mooney. I think that he's bound for a lot, you know, of targets and target share. And we're going to have to hope that he gets a little bit of the positive side of the touchdowns because this could be one of the worst, if not the worst, offense in the NFL. But give me a guy that's going to probably get 150 targets with Justin Fields this year. Yeah, I think Darnell Mooney is a, a star in the making. Yeah. The fact that he was able to be productive last year amid just a horrible situation. You know, he he outshined Allen Robinson, who we yeah. a lot of us viewed as like a legitimate wide receiver one. And I mean, Allen Robinson turned to dust last year on the bears where Mooney was able to produce yep. in such a horrible situation. I always made the comparison with Mooney and Jerry Judy because Mooney is the guy that didn't have the draft capital, didn't go to Alabama, but actually has produced in the NFL. And those are just the opposites with Jerry Judy, where he was a first round pick. He went to Alabama and that's why he has so much value still, you know, in like dynasty circles where it's like, yeah, well he hasn't actually done anything with, with the opportunities he's had. Like he's had horrible quarterback play like Mooney has. And it's just Mooney. I give so much credit to the guys, a, a day three pick to step in from Tulane and just dominate. And I know that people view him as, 
oh well you know his body type is not that of a wide receiver one it's like what do you what do you mean like look at the wide receiver ones nowadays like Antonio like there are plenty of receivers that are quote-unquote undersized that command super high tar- Jamar Chase like Jamar Chase last time I checked he's not like 6'4 like 230 pounds like so I don't I don't buy the fact that Mooney's not your prototypical alpha receiver all I know is the dude gets open he commits targets at a high level and he got the wide receiver one treatment last year from the Bears and like you mentioned, dude, there's literally no one in his offense that's going to be taking any way, any any sort of targets from Mooney. And the fact that he's a good route runner, I yep. think gives him, uh, yeah, okay, he's going to get number one corners. Okay, well, he's shown that he can get open against number one corners last year. Last year, he was the number one all the time. Like, teams were not game planning to stop Allen Robinson, who looked like he was playing on, like, one leg. So, <laughs> I, I love, I love the Mooney call. I'm, I'm snagging him. Whenever he whenever he comes up in the, the best ball queue, I'm always like, Darnell Mooney smash so i like and, that and, and for the one listener that's screaming into their into their phone right now saying alex you didn't mention byron pringle as one of the guys that'll steal targets <laughs> i apologize that i did not mention byron pringle as a guy that will also steal targets away darno mooney wheels up for him in 2021 but andrew we're getting near the end of the show and we are getting into our final sleeper one of both of our some of our favorite calls i am so excited to get into these we will lead off with you for the final sleeper yeah i'm gonna go with a, a rookie running back uh tyler algier for the atlanta falcons now he got drafted in the fifth round and i know that people are pointing to that as oh well, he's like a fifth round pick like that's not great and with me it's like look i looked at the falcons draft and I, I believe full heartedly that they were going to, they would have drafted him in the, in the fourth round if they had had a, a round four pick. They just didn't have one. So I don't think it's fair to like hold that against him. It's like, oh, well, he's round five. Like, that sounds horrible. I, I view him in the same like as the round four running backs that got taken, and even some of the round three running backs that got taken. I, I don't think that they're, we should be viewing them so drastically different. And you can't deny the opportunity he could see in this Falcons offense where you have Cordero Patterson as the quote unquote starter. Damian Williams, who hasn't been a thing in since basically, I think the Chiefs playoff run, and Tyler Algier is is there. They 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 released Mike Davis, who recently signed with the Ravens, you know, immediately after the draft. So, look, it remains to be seen, you know, what role Algier will have, but it really seems like he could carve out a role on early downs. If you look at him over the last two years, he's first in rushing yards after contact, second in rushing touchdowns, third in PFF rushing grade among FBS players with at least 150 carries over the last two seasons. So this is a player that was productive at BYU and a player that I think that Arthur Smith can view in a Derrick Henry light-esque. You know, he didn't have a guy that could really break tackles last year at all. Like, we, we, we all have seen Mike Davis run. <laughs> it's like, it's it's not a guy that's going to run between the tackles and, and break and, and create yardage on his own. And Cordero Patterson is more explosive, but again, this guy used to play wide receiver. And you really can't expect Cordero Patterson with his body type to take on a 200, 250 carry load. So now Algier, it's not like it's the best case scenario where the Falcons are going to be like leading games all the time and they're going to be able to run out the clock. Like, I, I don't really think that's the scenario, but I do think that he has a lot of chance to get an opportunity in this offense. And I liked his profile a lot. You know, it's one of these things where a lot of people gravitate towards the landing spot. And then they don't really care about the player. I, I liked Algier a lot even before I knew his landing spot. And even if the Falcons had drafted another running back, I would still like Algier a lot in this spot. Even if they drafted a running back in round three, I still would have liked Algier a lot in this spot. You know, he reminds me a lot of Khalil Herbert last year who got drafted in the sixth round. Herbert was a player that I kind of like had my flag on a little bit in the pre-draft process. Was kind of bummed out that he went in, in round six. But then when he got his chance, 
he delivered. Like he had as, as many, I think it was as many 80 yard rushing games as Dave Montgomery did last year. So he kind of, he proved to me that I had a good process kind of labeling him as a guy to like keep an eye on and be confident in. And when he got the opportunity, he would deliver. And that's how I feel about Algier. And it just, the opportunity seems a little bit more clear where in the case of Herbert, he needed an injury to kind of get, uh, get into the, the bears backfield as the starter. So I, I think that Algier makes sense from the standpoint, the Falcons have a terrible offensive line they, they need a running back that can break tackles because there's going to be guys in the backfield, like constantly and Algiers showed that he could do that. So um, that's my guy. Yeah, I love that pick. I love the situation. I like the player. He actually was going to be someone I would have had on my list, but I wanted to at least give you a chance, you know, to, to get him. <laughs> well, I picked a guy that's very similar. And, you know, I didn't want to have two guys on this list right away that were very similar. And my guy is also on a not-so-great offense with a clear path for touches, and it's Damian Pierce for the Houston Texans. I mean, Damian Pierce has a three-down skill set. His only competition in Houston is 31-year-old Rex Burkhead, and Marlon Mack, who's had 32 carries over the last two years, I mean, he compares athletically via player profiler to Chris Carson. His team also just drafted a first-round offensive lineman in Kenyon Green. And, you know, I think Davis Mills is next up. Get it? Next next up with his big neck. Ha, ha, ha. Sorry, listeners. I had to. I have to. But I think Davis Mills is going to be improving a little bit. I think this offense will be improving a little bit. And Damian Pierce is a clear path to touches in this offense. Also a guy that was hyper-efficient in college. A guy that, you know, like I said, has that three-down skill set. He's the perfect prototypical size for a running back at like about 5'10", 215. That's exactly what we're looking for. And again, it's a clear path to touches, and you can get a guy that could legitimately be the running back one in this offense outside the top 40 running backs right now. Doesn't mean it's going to be a super sexy pick, but I think especially draft-wise when you're looking at strategy, and if you go zero running back, I mean, Damian Pierce is one of those guys, just like Tyler Algier, that I want to roster because they have a clear path to touches that can get you fantasy points each and every week, and I don't think that his competition is very light. Are you feeling the same way about Damian Pierce, or are you just like, you know, Tyler Algier is the guy, don't even worry about Damian Pierce? No, I definitely get the, the the play. I think that you're you're right where they have they're kind of in similar situations, and, and Pierce has a little bit more better draft capital. Um, I guess with Pierce, the only thing that I am more I, I, and I liked Pierce a lot coming out too. Like he was my top five, he was in my top five running back pre draft rankings. I think that he plays with an aggressive style, and I mean I absolutely hate the way they use him at Florida. The The coaching staff down there did not know what they were doing. And I always point out that, you know, after they fired the coaches, like the next two games, Damian Pierce had double digit carries like for the first time all season. So they, they clearly weren't using him the right way. And it's not like this, this should come as a shock to anyone because Kadarius Tony was used horribly at Florida as well. Uh, yeah. They didn't use him the right way. That's why he didn't have really much production in college. And he's, he's, he's kind of a reason why a lot of us faded him last year. And then when he actually gets on the field, it's like, oh, wow, like this guy's actually pretty good. And it's because like, well, why did they use this guy at Florida? So I do think that the, you know, the fact that he's never had more than 106 carries in a season, or he's never played more than 23 snaps in a game, I think is kind of overblown. I think that he has like the skill set and he's a big running back. Like he's big, he's explosive. And I think that he could break tackles. So I, I, I like that. I'm just concerned about, I know we I feel like this happens a lot where we just kind of like, all right, we look at the depth chart. These guys are terrible. Like they're not going to use them, but the Texans might view that differently. You know, there is still a chance that, you know, Marlon Mack does have a role in this offense. I Rex Burkhead, like he's a guy they extended in the off season. He got work last time. He's been really trustworthy as a pass catcher in the back. But Nick Casario comes from the Patriots. Rex Burkhead was on the Patriots. Like those are things that we like to just totally ignore. Like, oh, well the rookie's going to get it. 
Um, and maybe if Damian Pierce was a second round pick, I'd feel like way more confident, but like that's still in his range of outcomes. So I still think Pierce, you know, at his price, I think is worth definitely taking a shot on. But, you know, if he gets steamed up enough, again, being price agnostic, be like, there is a price where I will not pay up for Damian Pierce because it could be week one comes out and it's a three-way committee between Jeremy and Pierce, Marlon Mack, and Rex Burkhead. And you're like, okay, I, I can't use this guy. Like, like, what am I doing with this guy on my bench? So that is, is still something to keep an eye on. Again, referring back to the Patriots, they never, ever used any of these guys, non-round one running backs. Like, they never used them until last year with, with Stevenson. And if you look back at Casario, the GM of the Texans, in his tenure with the Patriots, Stephen Ridley's 87 carries were the most for any non-first-round running back. And I actually think Ridley has a lot of, or I actually think Damian Pierce has a lot of Ridley in his game, kind of runs like a, honestly, like a, a guy with his head cut off. Like, he's just, he's just starting to run over people, barrel over guys, and Ridley was like that. He just had no he just did not care about his body and he was just going to run guys over like no matter what. So I think Pierce, it could take longer than I think people would like to admit, especially if you look at last year, what were the Texans doing last year? They were force feeding David Johnson, Mark Ingram, Philip Lindsay. Like now it's a different offensive coordinator that was last year, but there's still a lot of the same guys there. I don't know if it was really David Culley that was deciding that we got to feed Mark Ingram. So there are some question marks about, you know, how they treat veterans, um, I think that ultimately by the end of the season, it's Pierce is the guy. Um, yeah. But I think maybe, you know, week one, you know, anointing Pierce as, oh, like locked and loaded RB1, I think maybe yeah. might be a little aggressive. Yeah. Um, but just keep that in mind with the price. Yep, definitely. And I think that's fair with the price. But I think that at the same time, unlike last year, I mean, like this is the only young guy they have. You know what I mean? Like last year, their best young guy was like Royce Freeman. You know they what I mean? Scotty, they had Scotty Phillips and they just never gave him a chance. Oh, yeah, I wish they gave Scotty Phillips a chance. But again, like, Last year they had, like you said, you listed all these, you know, plotting veterans. Like, you know, Phillip, I don't mean to disrespect Philip Lindsay and 30-year-old Mark Ingram and 30-year-old <laughs> David Johnson, but I think this is the youngest back they've had. It's probably the most athletic back that they have given the part of their career, you know, that they're in. And they drafted him for a reason. And this is still a team that I think is actually going to surprise people a little bit. Does, does that mean they're going to surprise people and be a playoff team? No, but I think eight wins would be a surprise. And I think that they could actually realistically get there. They seem to believe in Davis Mills. They seem to believe in what this run game is going to be drafting, you know, a running back, sorry, an offensive lineman in the first round and then getting a running back that could be the guy. I don't think that he's going to be the guy week one, but I don't think this coaching staff is going to be stupid. And I think they're going to realize that Damian Pierce is the guy sooner rather than later. And I hope that he will get on the field very early, but we will finish there. But Andrew, we finished our sleepers last year. We had our flag plant, my favorite question in the world. And you were one of the people on this podcast that nailed their flag plant in Joe Mixon. The pressure is on you. Fourth quarter game on the line for the final question of the day. Who is your 2022 flag plant? Give it to us once again. Yeah, for me, it's wide receiver Cortland Sutton. Uh, I think that he has a realistic shot of being this year's Cooper Cup. I, I I dove into the topic on my on my Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. It's my pin tweet. It will be my pin tweet all season long because when it happens, I'm going to retweet it and be like, "Yep, told you guys that this is this is exactly what I wanted to happen." Because I look at Sutton and he just fits a lot of the criteria that I looked at when I was trying to see why I missed on Cooper Cup or you know what could we have seen from Cooper Cup season, kind of looking backwards and trying to put to get piece together the what's the blueprint for finding the next Cooper Cup and basically I looked at okay quarterback upgrade check got Russell Wilson boom 
Okay, history and track record of red zone efficiency. Okay, check. Cortland Sutton's done that. He's been a guy that's been heavily targeted into the red zone. So those are some of the factors that I looked at um, for looking at players, looking at his ADP in the middle range, looking at how he's not being steamed up because of another player in his offense. Last year, it was Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. This year, it's Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Like, Cortland Sutton's never going to become super, super expensive because Jerry Judy's in the offense. Like, yep. that's just a fact. And Cooper Cup was never going to become super, super expensive last year because Robert Woods was in the offense. And, and people kind of viewed them somewhat similarly. And, and I hate to admit it, but I'm pretty sure I had Robert Woods ranked ahead of Cooper Cup, and it literally makes my eyes want to bleed. So, so trying to find what made Cooper Cup work last year and Cooper and, and Cortland Sutton, specifically with Russell Wilson in this Broncos offense, checks off a lot of those boxes. So that's something that I, I, I feel really great about now. Is he going to put up the most fantasy points ever by a wide receiver. No, like that's not what I mean. But what I mean is that he's going to take a massive leap from the middle rounds into high fantasy production in 2022. So Cortland Sutton is the guy that I want in every draft. And it's someone that I want everyone else to draft as well. I love this pick. I love Cortland Sutton. He's been the guy that I will also be drafting even over Jerry Judy at this point. Yes. Yes. Years in a row. We've seen it, you know, when Stefan Diggs gets added to Buffalo and then you add another quarterback into the Rams, you know, with Cooper Cup. Like, I think that these guys, these when these great quarterbacks come in, like, we see a big difference in these receivers when they actually get guys that can really throw them the ball. I think that's going to be similar for Cortland Sutton. Hold, and, and hold on for a second for the for the listeners. I'm not saying that Cortland Sutton is as talented as Stefan Diggs was or, like, as great in a situation as Cooper Cup was. But I think, you know, it's comparable in the sense that they add an elite quarterback they've never really truly had before. And I'm excited to see what the potential looks like with that. You know, it's not Case Keenum and Stefan Diggs. You know, it's not it's similar to, you know, Jared Goff and Cooper Cup for what it's worth. And I think that this year, Quentin Sutton is also that's that's I love it. I love it. I, I don't really have anything else to add. I just I love the pick. I wish I could disagree and give you a little pushback. <laughs> But I think that he is an amazing pick. And Andrew, you've been an amazing guest today. Always a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Before we go, you're not with PFF anymore. You're on to bigger and better things at Fantasy Pros. But you were also doing a bunch of other things as well. So please, anything you got, please plug it and tell the listeners where they can find you and your amazing content. Yep. So all my content's over at FantasyPros.com. I'm on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore also on TikTok at Andrew Erickson underscore. I'm not, I'm not nearly as gifted as our guy Alex here, but I am learning from the master himself trying to take notes and it's, it's fun. It's a fun outlet to kind of let loose and, and have some fun, poke some fun with some of these fantasy things. So I like it and hopefully I'm starting to get a little bit better at it. I'm getting an iPhone. So my, my quality will improve. I already talked to Alex about that. It's super important. I'm working on it, work in progress. So 2022 is going to be 2020 vision wise for my TikTok. Cannot wait. Love and I'm that. excited, man. A lot of stuff, best ball content coming out, dynasty content. And yeah, just feel free to always reach out to me through my DMS. Just tag me on a Twitter post. If you want to talk about fantasy, uh, my door is always open. Fantasy pros has a discord channel that you can join. And I do AMAs in there. We do discord stages. I'm doing a Twitter AMA, you know, on the fantasy pros account. So all that stuff happy to talk ball and yeah always happy to get into friendly debates with other players not don't like things get out of hand that's the only thing of course of course and always always friendly always respectful always all love at the end of the day and that's just how we do it around here but as always been amazing to have you on don't forget if you don't if, if you don't if you don't like listening to andrew please never listen to this podcast again <laughs> but if you don't like him that much and you need a little incentive 
He's also a huge taco fan. Everybody loves tacos. How can you not love that when you love Andrew? But as always, it's been a pleasure with Andrew, and it's been a pleasure with you listeners today. Appreciate you guys all listening to the podcast. New episodes coming out every Tuesday and Friday, all summer long, all the way through Christmas. So please keep listening. And as always, please leave a review. You guys already know what to do, and I hope you all have a great rest of your day.